You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 48, Elf, and their self-titled album. And coming to you from the suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan the Bean Beaudry. And coming to you from outside Providence, John Cyrus the Virus Matola. <laughs> okay, so I think the I think the uh, <laughs> reference here is in the summer that the summer that Con Air came out. I knew you'd know. We were we were upset. We went to the movies to see it like at least two or three times, didn't we? And one of them was a drive-in. We went to the drive-in. We yeah. saw it in the theater. I, th- I think at least twice, maybe three times. And I remember the and and the drive-in. Uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, was was Con Air and Face Off double feature, the Nick Cage double feature. Yep, two of the two of the greatest <laughs> movies of '97, summer of '97. That, yes. Oh yeah, and. Yeah, we were like crazy about the, the uh, that movie. Face Off, not as much, just, but Con Air was like they were just like they were just such good action movies. Yeah, it was a f- fun action movie. It's funny, like when you watch it now, it's so that formula has been done so many times. It was kind of fresh then, but like you you see any movie now, they're still copying that formula of like the, that yeah. cast of characters and the quips that they make and kind of that was yeah. for me anyway. <clears throat> that was kind of the starting point of that whole quirky action movie thing oh totally but the the uh the reference of course now um oh refers to the (laughs) the coronavirus which i'm not gonna make i'm not of course not gonna make light of it but i mean if i hear one more person at work go like you know somebody goes (coughs) and they're like "Eh, coronavirus (laughs) it's like all right knock it off all right we get it it's not funny you know, a chew. Ah, the virus. Hey, hey, hey. Well, you know, and they, it's like, all right, <laughs> I've had enough. We it's, record it's these. Funny. We record these episodes a a little in advance, so by the time this airs, uh, things will either either be kind of the same, or have completely tailed off, or <laughs> will be dead, or much worse. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so if it's one of the first two, then these, yeah, these jokes aren't fresh from the bakery anymore. Yeah, like uh, exactly. kind of stale old rolls. Generally, a lot of our episodes are for the most part evergreen. But although, like you know, the, when news happens in the deep purple world, it's usually not so amazing or so critical that it gets out the exact second. And, you know, our our news about like the new deep purple album might be a little outdated by the time we get to this. But for the most part, yeah, mm. that part's going to date us a little bit. That being said, my parents just got back from a cruise and I FaceTimed them yesterday and they're both on the couch with fevers, like shivering and saying they've oh got boy. the flu. And I'm like, what are you doing? Go to the doctor. Don't you know? Oh. Don't you know what's going on? They're like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's probably nothing. No, I'm feeling a little better, I think. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, I'm not like oh an alarmist God. by any means about these sorts of things, but I'm like, you guys need to go get checked out. Like, 
This is not good. Yeah, but I, I feel like that's that's parents whenever they get older because my parents said that my mom had a cough like for like three weeks, and I'm like, go to the doctor. She's like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm like, you you you're like you're like closer to death than fine. Okay, <laughs> my my dad has like you know just pill bottles up to the ceiling. He's like, here, put this put this this you know menthol patch on my back and. <laughs> Back. You know, he's like, oh, my foot. And it's just like, Jesus, good God, would you people please go to the doctor? It's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, anyway, hopefully, hopefully this will just be like a by the time this episode comes out, people will be like, oh, my God, the remember that the coronavirus? <laughs> they're behind the times. Let's let's hope. Yeah, let's, <laughs> fingers. Well, let's hope we're behind the times. And it's like, oh, that's old news. That was nothing. Yeah. Well, we, that would be nice. Well, that would be nice for sure. Um, so, yes, if you want to keep up to date on this uh, medical podcast, please uh, subscribe in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. We've had a couple of YouTube videos banned recently, but we're back in business with our last episode and hopefully uh, you'll get to hear this one, too. But we don't really know until we actually try to upload it. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links to that are at deeppurplepodcast.com. And a few ways to support the show. Uh, you know, if you want to help, if if you're donating on Patreon, you're not just a patron. You're not helping the show. You're helping produce the show. You're a producer for the show. You are giving us content. You're giving us, uh, you know, uh, a few bucks here and there to help us buy albums and material and new microphones. Although well, hopefully that's tapered off. Um, so, you know, any sort of little bit that you can support the show with is highly appreciated and completely uh, we're, we're falling all over ourselves. How happy we are about you supporting our show in any way. Um, you can also help new people discover the show by leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. We have not gotten a new review in quite some time. We've got some great ratings, so please leave us a review. A little short blurb about why you like the show. That'd be hugely appreciated. And then I've also set up if you don't like the Patreon thing. Uh, a PayPal, you can do a PayPal subscription model or give us a one-time donation, whatever you want. And if you give us a one-time donation, we'll, we'll name you and, and, uh, thank you on our, on our episode that you, uh, donate for. And speaking of our patrons, we want to support all the people who help support and produce this show, starting with the $10 super champion tier with Steve Seaberg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net and Ryan M. At the $5 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard, Mortensen, and Mike Knowles. At the $3 tier, Peter Gardot, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, and Anton Glaving. And at the $1 made-up name tier, L's Murders, Spacey Noodles, and the Creepy Leaky Mausoleum. <laughs> That'd be a great Halloween one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, thanking all those people. Our, the brothers at the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, The Simple Man at Skinnered Reconsidered, and Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts. And, of course, always the one and only, the legendary, the amazing Yorg Planer, the patron saint and archivist of the Deep Purple Podcast, who supports us with so much research and help. Thank you so very much. So, wow, what a week we've had since our last episode. Lots and lots of stuff going on on social media. Um, so Steve Hunt on Facebook posted this video. Did you see the video? I think I sent it to you of the um, Petty Rock, uh, the young the young girl, 10-year-old girl playing Burn. Um, Maybe. I sent it to you. She's a 10 year old girl. Um, she's Maybe. rocking out to burn, just absolutely killing it. Did a great, great uh, job of it. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I couldn't get the video, uh, 
before the episode the service was down so um so uh, maybe i don't know maybe you did i feel like you uh, we you send me a lot of stuff and that is I true can't remember all of it but i feel like maybe i saw that but it was probably good if you liked it i probably <laughs> it liked prob- it well any any 10 <laughs> year old girl that even knows burn is impressive to me never mind being able to actually play the guitar solos and everything it's mm. pretty freaking impressive um the one and only Nick Jones from Pot of Thunder sent me a, a, a private message. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Um, he got this thing donated to him, which was a little mailing tube for like a poster. And on the mailing tube says, open immediately. This mailing tube contains one complete deep purple in-store di- display kit. Mm. And he was really excited that he had gotten this from a family member who got mm. it from another family member that might not be aware that that other family member gave it to him. So it might be a little, this might be causing a little bit of a family feud in Nick, Nick's family. Um, apologize for that. But when you open up the mail tube, there is all of these posters that say purple power, deep purple. And there's, he said there's one for each member of the band. So he said, when he gets a second, wow. he's going to try to unfurl them all. You can see his hand kind of holding the poster there. And nice. he's going to, um, he said, he's going to send me uh, pictures of the, the full uh, posters. So I said, that's a pretty, are they new? No, these are like original from when machine head, he thinks was Whoa. released. Nice. So, um, cause it looks, it looks retro. Yes. But, I mean, these days, like, you know, a lot of stuff is made to look retro or kind of. Yeah. And apparently it's that not, really it's cool. not retro in a false <laughs> way. It's, this is actually like the actually, display kit. So classic. when you yeah. can get us some better cool. pictures, Wilson, they look, uh, really impressive. So I, I even tried, as soon as he sent that, I went on eBay trying to see if I could find something similar. Like, what are these? Couldn't really find anything. So if you know anything more about that, just from that little snippet or that little picture, let us know. Because it looks really awesome. And hopefully he's not in too much trouble with his family. Um, Steven Somerville sent some great outtakes from the Concerto 99, where the Steve Morse band played the Dixie Dregs song, Night Meets Light. It was something that wasn't actually included included on the final recording and he he humbly requests that we we cover it when we review the concerto 99 so i hope we can get to that when we get to that someday we've got quite a few things mapped out um also got this great note from uh, derek and dave philpot a father and son team who writes letters to pop stars they send uh, pop stars letters and ask them questions about the lyrics and then they get some humorous letters back from them and they've got a book called Dear Mr. Popstar and you can get it on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes and they received some letters back, including letters from Ian Gillen and Roger Glover. So really nice. cool book to check out. I have not purchased it yet, but I'm definitely going to because it sounds really interesting. And then um, we had a lot of back and forth about when we talked about Richie's stolen guitar. I think we've talked about it in like the last three episodes. Um, yeah. So a lot of questions have been answered by our listeners who know a lot more about Deep Purple than us, which begs the question, why are they listening? But thank you. that Thank you for everybody that does. <laughs> the, you, you know what I want to do? Listen to two guys who know a lot less about a subject than I do. Um, so I guess this guitar that had been stolen, we had the serial number, was... The 1961 Gibson ES-335 semi-hollow body, the one that he used in the concerto, the one that he recorded in rock with, uh, that famous uh, Gibson hollow body. And uh, 
when he got divorced to his from his second wife, Babs, she won this guitar in the divorce and sold it at an auction in 2004 for $28,000. And then somebody bought it from that person for substantially more. The current owner lives in Connecticut. Um, and hmm, that's some uh, some that's some walking around money there. Huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> so I put a, little... a I put a link. That's somebody who should be a patron. <laughs> we'll, we'll make exactly, a new exactly. we'll make a new tier for you if you want to be a patron. The ten dollar tier should be should be nothing. But uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, which has a story of of him getting this guitar. He says he basically he wanted to bid for it at the twenty eight thousand dollars. Wasn't sure he was going to be able to clear it with his wife, so he didn't. And then the guitar ended up selling for a lot more money than that. But he was able to somehow clear it with his wife for that one, which is odd. And then he ended up purchasing the guitar. And he's the proud owner of this amazing uh, piece of history. Imagine, nice. imagine that. That'd be that'd be nice. I got to say, I, I love my original butterfly ball poster back there. But if I had Richie's guitar, I think I might retire that poster or at least move it and just have that hanging behind me. And say, mm. oh yeah, that. Oh, don't worry about that. That's just the guitar that Richie used to play on the concerto and the in rock album. And presumably, I think he used it on actually all the albums up to that point. So, so he he did all all those. The, come on, I'd be like, that's where the yeah. he played the sweet arpeggios on April on that guitar. Imagine <laughs> that. I don't think I could clear. Like he used that he used that that guitar on the concerto. Can't you just hear it rolling its eyes? <laughs> 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 Actually, that would that would be really cool. Just like because yeah, we were like really impressed by those those arpeggios on April. You like I could I could picture that. Have you ever like been to like you know see anything historical, piece of art, like something yeah, like, sure. even in the Hard Rock Cafe, and just like look at it and just be yeah. like, wow, this is the thing that you know he played or did this in or he actually touched this you know around this time period and it's just it's really cool stuff yeah i usually don't get too crazy about stuff like that mm-hmm. um like i'm usually a little bit more utilitarian like if if i had it i'd probably play it <laughs> which is probably probably not supposed <laughs> to do that you know <laughs> but i'd be like oh, i'm gonna play this i would do my own recordings and i'd be like listen to this song yeah i know the guitar sounds kind of crappy but <laughs> let me tell you about the guitar now you're gonna like the song a lot more you'd have all the <laughs> You know, of all these Deep Purple fans outside, like you remember the 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 Simpsons episode of the Stone Cutters where Homer has the secret parchment and he's wiping his mouth with it. And like, no, no, oh god! He's just like, what? <laughs> you have all all of us outside the windows going, no, oh yeah. god! I mean, I would treat it with the same. I mean, I'm very kind of particular with my guitars. I don't like, you know, I, I treat them. I'm very gentle with them and everything. I treat it with the same reverence I would mine. But I think the acceptable thing is probably to put it in like a bulletproof case and never touch it. But that seems like. Mm. That seems like kind of a waste to me. Um, but anyway, a lot, yeah, a lot of little snippets and bits of news and stuff from social media this week to update on. But, but uh, yeah. So moving moving along, we've got, of course, um, sponsor this week. We've been just rolling in. I know it's hard to. Why are you going to be a patron for the show if we got so much? All of this money coming in from sponsorships, but uh, uh-huh. we got a good, we got a good one this week. Uh, you know, if you if, if you're in a in a hurry for some food, uh, you, you got to eat, and uh, the best the best place to go, I think, is uh, in this ad right here.
That's right, White Castle. <laughs> you've got to when you you've got that deep down hunger. You got to get some of that White Castle. And uh, I don't uh, I don't ever eat any other fast food. Only White Castle. I drive by all the other places. Thumb my nose at them. Not interested. I see a White Castle. If I see it too late, I'll just slam on the brakes and just pull right in the pull right in the drive through. Get up on two wheels, turn that corner and order some of my favorite foods from White Castle that they have. Have you ever been to White Castle? <laughs> no. I've never been to White Castle no. either. No, I mean I've I've heard of it, but I mean it's not it's not something that's in. Uh, my area. I know it's uh, it's one of those places that, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I, I want to say like 10 years ago or something, it became really cool for people to talk about, or I've heard some people talk about like they were going to take a road trip, you know, to, to just get White Castle and, yeah. you know, and then, and then, you know, and then you basically hear these people be like, they're just like these shitty little sliders. It's <laughs> 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 yeah, pretty much, you know, but I mean, it's the experience, you know, and I think they had a movie about it, you know, um, they did indeed. I've seen the movie, just never yeah. been to White Castle. Um, I know a mm. guy I used to work with uh, back in Connecticut was a huge yeah. White Castle guy, loved White Castle. And he'd always be like, ah, I'm going to go to White Castle, get some belly bombers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely like, you know me, I love, I love food. I would like, um, I would like, if there was one around, if I was, I can't even, I don't even know what state it's in. I would just be like, ah, oh, yeah, there's a white castle. Let's go get some of whatever you get there. I know it was a big deal because they had opened one in Connecticut and it was like the only one oh. in the area. I don't know where they're really based around, but there was one on my, there's one on my drive to work that I drive by twice a day, every day. And I've just never been. So well, it's just like that. Uh, what's that chain out in, um. In uh, California, like In and Out Burger. Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone raves and, like, about them. People, people heard there's like a, you know I went to L A last year. And, like oh, you didn't go to In and Out Burger. <laughs> you know I'm like I'm, I don't eat fast food. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's pretty good, but but I mean I didn't have a chance either. So, um, but actually um, there is um, there is one thing before I forget. Sure. When we heard uh, JLT. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, uh, watching this, um, a, a little, uh, I guess rainbow, um, rainbow sighting, I guess you can say. So there's a, um, just like everybody, oh, there's this great show on Netflix, you know, and there's like so many of them. It's like, you mm-hmm. can just say that to anybody and it can be any show, but there's this uh, show, I guess it's had a couple of seasons called sex education. Okay. And um, it's it's a, one of these shows. I think it's produced um, in another country. They sound like they have British accents. Okay, um, I could be wrong, but anyways, um, so it's a you know show about a um, um, some uh, high school students, and uh, you know one of them is a mother. Uh, he has a mother who is a sex therapist, and of course, it's embarrassing for him. Uh, but through kind of osmosis, he gets this knowledge, this uh, deep kind of knowledge to give other students advice. And they kind of start to set it up in this first season of like, you know, he'll give advice and they'll charge money for it type of thing. Um, but uh, it's actually pretty good. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but on the second or third episode, they're at like a, like a glee club type concert or whatever. And what do you think the students are seeing an acapella version of while they're, you know, in the audience is a, a rendition of Since You've Been Gone by Rainbow. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was actually, um, 
I was like futzing around with my phone. I'm like, oh, I should tape this and like, you know, send it to Nate. But it's just like, uh, I want you to think that I'm like, I send you so many videos of me on my couch, like taping my TV. I'm like, I don't want to think I'm a loser. You're, so I'm just not, I'm just going to tell him about it later. You, you couldn't record it and send it to me because your phone was full of videos of Mr. Belvedere clips you sent me already. That's <laughs> true. It's true. Uh, well, that sounds good. I mean, that song would lend itself very well to being a, um, a good acapella song. Like, yeah, it, uh, was a, it was a pretty good version of it, but it's kind of cool because it's like, you know, you just you don't really hear any, you know, like rainbow stuff like anywhere. I mean, even the popular stuff, I mean, let alone now, you know, being right. used somewhere. And so it was just it was kind of a cool thing to just be like, oh, yeah, there's there's our guys in there, you know, in a way. Yeah, well, when we cover yeah. that album, we'll have to bring that back up and, and play it mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Joe Jackson has that song, you know, is you really going out with him? When they did it live, they did a like everyone just gets off their instruments and does an acapella version of it, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Although I've never that song has never really hit me the way I guess it hits a lot of other people, but I do really love Joe Jackson. Um, all right. Anyway, this is not the Joe Jackson podcast. It's the Deep Purple podcast. So we're going to talk about a band that's not Deep Purple. And that band <laughs> is Elf. So. We've already talked a, you know, a lot about Dio and his kind of background and covered him a bit in our Butterfly Ball episodes and we covered all the singers. And um, we know that, you know, he was in a band called Ronnie Dio and the Prophets and they changed. Uh, they eventually ended up changing their name to the Electric Elves and then they added Doug Thaler on keyboards and uh, eventually uh, this band morphed into becoming Elf. Uh, they dropped they dropped the electric and just changed their name to the elves and then eventually uh, turned it to just elf singular. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they they got together. This is their first re- release from the band uh, on the on the band on the album cover. Ronnie is called Ronald Padavona, his birth name. And if you listen to what we've referenced before, Dio's brutally honest tour bus interview where he just goes through all the rainbow <laughs> albums. He's like, this one's a bunch of shit. And this one's this one sucks. And you're like, this one, this one's the only good one, you know. Uh, but oh. he he talks about in that interview about how he wanted to use his birth name so that his parents could see his like real name on on an album at least one time. And then he's like, OK, after that, screw it. I'm Ronnie Dio again. Um, but on this album. Uh, you know, this I, I remember the first time hearing Elf and just kind of being kind of like when I first had heard, like sitting in a dream, just being like, that's Dio. Like, how could how could that be Dio? This isn't heavy enough, you know, and the same reaction the first time I heard Elf was like, holy crap, what is this? It's cool. Yeah. It's awesome. It's rocking. It's got rocking piano in it, but it's not what you'd expect if you grew up. Uh, just a little later, like we did, and and knew Dio from at first anyway as the as Dio and the Black Sabbath guy, right? So on this album, he this he's playing bass as well as doing vocals, and you've got Gary That's Driscoll awesome. on drums. Yeah, which is great. This is the only I think I think after this album he gave up the bass and Craig Gruber took over. Um, but on this album, yeah, you're, yeah. you're hearing Ronnie. I don't, yeah, I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he really like on any of their official releases played any uh, instruments. Like I know that he, you know, picked up you know instruments and stuff when they were writing, but 
Mm-hmm. I don't yep. think he performed on any albums. Not, uh, not, a, vocals. not after this one. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, you've got Gary Driscoll on drums. You've got David Feinstein on guitar, who is actually Ronnie James Dio's cousin. And he was uh, after this album, he kind of just went in hiding almost for 10 years. And then he resurfaced in the 80s with a band called The Rods. Um, so unfortunately, Rod Evans was not in that band. That would have been cool. Um, <laughs> then you've got, of course, uh, to round it out, Mickey Lee Soul. So you've got uh, Mickey Lee Soul on keys, and that's the uh, original lineup of Elf. Uh, all the songs on this album are credited as being written by all four of the guys. And uh, assistant engineer on this album is Tub Langford. Who is also known as Bob Langford. Tub. <laughs> I like that. Great name. I like that name better. Tub. So he worked with Joe South, interestingly enough, the, the Hush writer. And he worked with Leonard Skinnerd and Al Cooper on his Act Like Nothing's Wrong album, which is a, one of my personal favorites. So that's kind of cool. And then another engineer was Rodney Mills, who's got hundreds and hundreds of credits on Discogs all different sorts of stuff you can check out. So this album was recorded uh, between April and July of 1972 and released the next month in August. So not a ton. I reached out for a little bit of information on this. Um, I do have a Dio book that will be here tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. Um, uh, it's, It's a really nice biography of Dio, and I'm looking forward to... Checking it out. It's by, let me just see the name the name of the book right here. Sign into my Amazon account. It's Ronnie James Dio, A Biography of a Heavy Metal Icon by James Curl, who has accepted my Facebook re- friend request. So hmm. um, in keeping with my uh, Facebook friends all being Deep Purple related. <laughs> my new Facebook friends. <laughs> I'm friends with a lot of tangential members of different various groups, which is pretty cool because I can just I'm hoping to just one day, you know, reach out to a few of them to see if we could secure an interview or some quotes or something. So um, it's pretty cool. And yeah, uh, that's, that is cool. Yeah. So this is this would be a great person to have on the show one day and talk about his book. It's, it looks really interesting. And with that, we have to have the unenviable task of talking about this album art. <laughs> so, so the, oh, there it is. There it is up on the screen there. Um, uh, you know, we, we hated this album cover when we were younger. We did. And I, 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 I have my original Elf CD here for you. And I haven't done it. I haven't touched it since the 90s. And I just want to oh. show you my album cover looks like yeah the band on the no that's the back cover yes because i took i took the <laughs> i remember that i took yeah. the booklet out so if you open it up the, <laughs> i took the booklet because i couldn't stand looking at it so i took the booklet out and flipped it around so that you looked at the back cover which actually is kind of a better cover than the front to be honest it's got it's got the kind of a cartoony version of the four guys although it's probably a photo that's been retouched with this weird little nude elf <laughs> creature sign of hunched over on the side if you can see the weird well we'll look at it later but yeah i was so repulsed by this album cover i just couldn't stand it and i feel like the black sabbath born again album cover gets a lot of 
crap, but this album mm-hmm. cover is just, it's just awful. <laughs> I always used to like wonder if that was Ronnie yes. in makeup. Yes, I I remember we always just kind of assumed it was. But I don't think it but is. It doesn't, no. But it doesn't look like him. But we thought like, oh, you know, I mean, my first thing when I like this was the first album that like, you know, I had gotten by early Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like seeing this album, I thought like, oh, OK, like this really it looks like I, don't, I guess if you change the logo a little bit, you would think it was like like a metal album cover. Like if you yeah, if this came out like maybe 10 years later, even you'd think like, oh, OK. So I thought it was going to be heavy Ronnie. And um, I was <laughs> surprised when listening to it but i just remember like looking at this cover and just being like you know (laughs) and thinking like oh okay they call the band elf because ronnie is short and that's probably ronnie in this weird makeup and yeah i I don't know yeah i I thought the exact same thing i looked at this and said oh yeah this looks like some early proto metal and then you play it and you're like whoa this is not what i was expecting um Mm -hmm. but not only it's just a it's it's a i just i hate it so much (laughs) this album cover (laughs) i still do like it just the co- it's a weird color. The scheme color too, scheme right? of it is just all. It looks like it's a black and white photo that's been really poorly color touched. Because yeah, it's just got this green, yellow, brown. Like it's just not. It looks like he's like got makeup on. Out. Like he's got blush and like mascara on or something, or like yeah. eyeshadow. Or, and he's got like kind of bluish fingertip, and he's got like a greenish hue to his skin. It's just a very unattractive album cover, and maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know. Yeah, definitely off-putting, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the back cover is a little uh, more palatable. It's got, it's just like a, a little hill. You see the little elf guy over to the right, just kind of crouching. <laughs> just, I don't know what he's doing over there. He's like, hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> see Ronnie in the middle there. He looks like big old hippie. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um. But yeah, you've got yeah, you've got Mickey Lee Soul kind of with his hand on his fist on his hip there, and Gary Driscoll with the shades, um, and then uh, David Feinstein looking like he's looking kind of like Ronnie, very close family resemblance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's got some information on the album back there, which is which I can actually read probably better from my my CD here. But it got the personnel. It talks about the production because if this was produced by Roger Glover and Ian Pace. Oh, and it in in parentheses, it says deep, cool guys. Uh, these list, lists uh, and engineer Rodney Mills and Tub Langford, like we talked about, it was recorded at Studio One in Atlanta, Georgia. And then it talks about uh, Gambler Gambler, which is the last track on the album it says Gambler Gambler is respectfully dedicated to Ira Blacker. Special thanks to Jeff Franklin. Many thanks to John Walsh for the faith he had in the group. This was made possible with love and care by Bruce Payne. Thank you, cool guy. (laughs) And then cover design by Hiroshi Morishima. Oof. Let's let's send him some hate mail. (laughs) Well, it's interesting (laughs) because he has... This was only his second... credit on discogs he did one album before this and then he um he also did the the design for the the aerosmith's debut album so mm, that one that one wasn't that great either <laughs> well, there you go, for being honest <laughs> hiroshi miroshima yeah definitely uh, uh first album he did was called ram tam 
And he did he did some stuff I haven't heard of, but some other stuff that looks totally fine. A lot of classical work actually for classical albums. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep, that's that. And the photography on this is by David Feinstein and Ronald Padavona. So um, I don't know who took that picture of that elf. Maybe maybe the elf is David Feinstein. Yeah, so I'm I'm assuming you didn't find out like who the cover model. No, you know I I probably should have looked that up. I'm looking it up right now. I'm sorry, trying to. I mean that's been such a point of like disturbance for us (laughs) over the years. You know. (laughs) Yes, I got this before there was Elf from Sabbath Online. Uh, Elf. I can't figure out who is on this cover. Probably should have worked this on this beforehand, but well, if you're listening, you probably you probably know. I'm gonna go with David. I'm going to go with that being David Feinstein. The cover Let's art. See, maybe it's a bit of trivia that we can figure out on the next episode or by the next episode. Yeah, well, we usually have a lot of people come and tell us all the things we got wrong or add a lot of things to the. Uh, episode that we might have missed so hopefully they'll be listening to this and be able to tell us hmm. all right so they this is uh got just a couple other little shots of the album not nothing remarkable just the titles of the songs on the album itself um, and that's it Some pretty bare bones yeah yeah it's pretty uh, yeah i mean it's it's definitely a no frills sort of album i don't know maybe i'll maybe i should just embrace it. I'm going to put it back the right way for the first time. And since, <laughs> since I bought this in like whatever, 1993. Oh, put it away. Put it, put it back <laughs> in its case. The first, I don't want to see it <laughs> for the first time. The um, nice price. The, it's got the nice price sticker on it. They, oh God. they also used to have best, the best buy. It wasn't related to the best buy of the store, but remember it would say best <clears> buy. <throat> mm-hmm. Um, Okay. So let's start uh, cutting into some of these tracks. This album kicks off with a song called Hoochie Coochie Lady. It's got to be a, you know, all time great album, great title songs. Should have been my first clue that this was not a metal album. Hoochie Coochie does not invoke a metal feeling. I think my mouth was still on the floor at this point. <laughs> or I thought it was like the beginning of like Megadeth's Killing Is My Business when they start with that like song from the 20s and you're like, oh, it's going to yeah, really yeah. get heavy after this. Nope. I love how the piano is hard panned to the right and the guitar is hard panned to the left. She's got her hand in the pie.
Yeah, it sounds like some just decent rock and roll, you know? I mean, I feel like all Elf songs sounded like this if you listen across the three albums, so... Yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, like, for lack of a better term, like, Honky Tonk Ronnie wasn't always my favorite. But I mean, it's still good, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, even the... My least favorite Ronnie is better than most of the music that I dislike. It's so piano forward, too, you know, it, the, the piano kind of dominates. It's got a cool solo. Ronnie's really laying it down back there on bass. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Oh, just kind of switched up the tone a little bit there. I get the feel. I like this because I get the feeling that it was um, it was probably recorded live in the studio. I mean, it sure sounds like you, it, just, yeah. you just get that energy like you know you don't you don't play a guitar solo like this like after like uh you know being too calculated and the whole band just sounds like they're kind of just feeling themselves like you know just doing like a live take they might have just recorded all the instrumentation and then done the vocals after yeah. You know, you you hear a song like this and you wonder what Richie like saw in like this band that he was interested in because it doesn't sound like anything that he really would be interested in, you know? Maybe some of the later elf stuff they got a little bit more away from this formula. Or maybe he was just impressed with Ronnie. Yeah, but he also listened to episode six and thought, I need that guy in my band, you know? I think he's very good at seeing past the music and seeing the individual talent. And then getting sick of it and seeing some other individual talent. <laughs> I was also going to say that at this point, we've decided to stop trying to figure out why Richie did anything he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a waste of time. <laughs> this lyric site calls Mickey Lee Soul Michael Soul. Maybe that's his like the name he. Uh... Oh, yeah, his original name is Michael William Soul, so he probably like had his writing credits under his actual name.
All right. Hoochie coochie lady. Ooh. So it's, it's hard to say hoochie coochie lady. lady. <laughs> it just sounds serious. Seriously, yeah. Hoochie coochie lady. The what was it? Thinks she's Park Avenue. I was. <laughs> I just heard down down Park Avenue. <laughs> hoochie coochie lady. Um. What the heck is it? Trying to beat Park Avenue. Ah, trying to I, beat Park Avenue. I always thought it was trying to be Park Avenue. Like she was trying to be yeah. like fancier than she was. But this, I mean, who knows? These sites are often wrong. So maybe it could be. Yeah. But this is trying to beat Park Avenue. Like she's. Hmm. Also, I, I remember like my first, like the first words as well. She's handsome. And I remember thinking like. You know, whenever how old, 14, 15 or whatever I was when I heard this for the first time thinking it it was unusual to, to refer to a woman as handsome. I mean, I'd heard that term before, like, and uh, you know what? It's like kind of a, I feel like the, the lyrics are probably like kind of old timey because you've ever like, you know, any movies from like the 30s or 40s or whatever, they'd just be like, hmm, she's a handsome woman, you yeah. know, which just means that she's like, you know. I don't know. Looks like B. Arthur or something. <laughs> hey, where's Teddy? I think she was hanging out with that handsome dame we saw earlier. <laughs> like you know, like a woman that like I don't know, just looks really like uh, not not manly, but I mean, what's the like? I know what they mean. By yeah, it, but yeah, it's yeah. Like, not someone that's like glamorous, beautiful, but kind of almost like you know, very just. Plain well, beautiful? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like a really old term. Like, if we looked it up, I'm sure there'd be a better way to describe it, you know? But it's just like, yeah, that's that's kind of weird. So, but anyways, um, yeah. So, um, this song, Hoochie Coochie Lady. Hoochie Coochie Lady. Well, you, no. the way you say it, you're like, Hoochie Coochie Lady. <laughs> <laughs> you go, Hoochie Coochie Lady. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'm kind of, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of torn because it's like, it's, it's pretty good, but it's like, it's not too interesting. You know what I mean? Like I give it, I I would think it's like a three and a half because it's like, it's a good, it's a good song, but it's not like, I don't know. It's not great. I was thinking the exact same thing because it's uh, yeah, it's just kind of like generic rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, like, it's it's very good. It's like one of those things like I could listen to music like this playing nonstop and be f- totally happy, but it, nothing about it jumps out as being anything extra special. It's just it's yeah. it's a good solid rock and song with rock and piano, well played, nice guitar solo, great singing. You know, the, you can't say anything bad about it, but it it doesn't really stand out. Yeah, there's like elf songs that I like a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So but still a strong start to the album. So we talked about Park Avenue. Now it's time to take it to First <laughs> Avenue, the next song. He's just he's going all he's just taking us on a tour of New York City here. <laughs> he's going all over the place. First Avenue. Kind of got a standard little blues thing going here.
a little different for Ronnie to sing that way. Yeah, the hey. <laughs> really reminds me of something that I just can't put my finger on it. But we, you know. <laughs> every every blues song yeah. ever. <laughs> well, that for sure. But I'm talking more <clears throat> of the hey, that, that thing that he does. Yeah. yeah. A good impression, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm world renowned for my Ronnie Dio impression. Oh, I kind of like the, the kind of like the chord change they did there. Yeah, I, I think that breaks it up nicely from being a. I mean, it's still a very standard blues pattern, but yeah, the the chorus, you know, brings in something a little fresh. This lyric site is, ugh, they're always wrong about the lyrics. It says, is your heart still meant today? Like M-E-A-N-T, meant. Like, it's clearly mine. <laughs> well, that's why you, you kind of use the lyric sites to figure things out and fill in the pieces. You never want to rely on yeah, them. Yeah, there's always, there's always usually a few lyrics where you're just not 100% sure what to believe, but... Kind of got. Oh, is it, you had some hand claps going there. Yeah, I did. I heard those. That that little change when he went to the guitar solo sounded very like early Deep Purple. It's typical Dio performance, and then he's just kind of giving it his all, you know? He's not... He doesn't phone it in. He's just belting it out. It's, it's hard to... It's kind of infectious, the amount of energy and passion that he puts into a song. It's like, I could see this exact same song being on, like, a war horse or, or something, you know, and being, like, just not quite quite there but the performance is really good that ending yeah first <clears throat> avenue yeah i like the i like the way that the chorus shifted up like that it was really Kind of, I don't know. It, it was uh, catchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, I like so far how the, 
how the album does sound like it's like kind of live, you know, you get that feeling like they all just went in there and like probably laid down their basic tracks and Ronnie came back later and did some vocals and that's it. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of like that, um, that approach to an album and it's, it's pretty, pretty well produced. Like, you know, in the early to mid seventies or whatever, like, you know, uh, you could get, it could go either way. You can get this really like muddy production. You can get this really kind of like creaky sounding production, or it can be like really like clean, you know? And I, I, that's what I feel this is. This would have to be one of Roger Glover's really early production credits. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course he's credited on the deep purple albums. You know, it, everyone's credited on the deep purple albums, but you know, we know yeah. that Martin Birch was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So I wonder uh, I wonder how many things he might have produced before this. Mm. And I wonder what Ian Pace's involvement was, because I don't really, I don't remember ever seeing him have many other production credits. Well, unless he was just hang <laughs> hanging around the studio. He was, he, had a, he was just making sure the drums didn't get too low in the mix. <laughs> yeah, he turned that fader up. Yeah, I didn't play him, but I just want to you know, make sure. Um. But yeah, this song, I would, again, give like a three and a half um, rating just because um, it's good, but doesn't, again, doesn't really stand out um, for me. I'm going to give it a three because I feel like it's um, it's got the hallmarks of a blues filler. I think they put some cool little riff that, that little riff they threw in and the, that mixed it up a little bit, but it, I would like to see it break a little bit. Of course, this is 1972. It was probably a, a, it wasn't as played out then as it is now, but it would have been nice to see it break free a little bit from from blues filler status as far as I'm concerned. And looking mm -hmm. at Roger Glover's production credits, it looks like he produced only one album before this one, and that was Rupert Hines' Pick Up a Bone. This would have mm -hmm. been his second only uh, album of just being the sole producer. Mm -hmm. Well, soul with Ian Pace, I suppose. So, which brings me to Ian Pace. Let's see, has Ian Pace done any pr production other than this? Let's see. Production. He's credited with quite a bit. Wait, what is it? Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> I don't know how this website works, apparently. Okay, Ian Pace, production. He is, so he did production for the Pete York Percussion Band, which we've talked before. Silverhead, another Purple Records recording act. And then Elf, this was his third production. At this point, he had done more production than, hmm. than Glover. But he only has 12 production credits listed, and most of the other ones are like Pace Ashton Lord, Deep Purple, um, hmm. Dio. Ian Pace is credited with production on the Stand Up and Shout, the anthology, hmm. which is interesting. So, yeah, Roger Glover's got hundreds of production credits. So, Okay. <clears throat> Next track up is Nevermore. Getting a little bit of a different feel here. Any reason to 
definitely reminiscent of his style on Rainbow. Oh, he's got a little gravelly there, a little emotional. Yeah. good yeah I like vaguely remember this song but it's been a while since I listened to this album yeah the whole album it seems to be panned the same way with that piano on the right guitar on the left yeah Oh, it's really deep purplish right there. Oh, that's right that's up good. my alley. Oh, this sounds something like right out of the deep purple playbook here. Or even Sabbath. Yeah, good call. Dogs of Winter. Even hearing like a little trapeze almost in there. Packing a lot of stuff into this song. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. It's great. Was that a little organ in the background there? Yeah. Like going, it's panning left and right. Yeah, it was pretty cool sounding. funny that's like the most epic song they've had so far and it's the shortest song we've listened to on the album yeah that's that's what i was thinking this is like that song probably could have been twice as long yeah like it it yeah it has all the hallmarks of one of those epic like like it reminds me of like a song like seafall almost where it starts off kind of slow it comes into these cool riffs kind of goes all over the place but it's really well done yeah, that's that's the one thing that like I like this because it's like it's different from what they've already established. Like it doesn't have that, you know, honky tonk piano like bar band type of feel that the first two songs had. Um, and it was really good. Like I said, they were packing a lot of a lot of stuff like to unpack in that song, really. But it's like 
<clears throat> I don't know. I feel like a song like that, it would have been great to hear it be longer because mm-hmm. like it could have had that slow build and it's, I just felt like it, they rushed through it. Like they could have spent more time developing it. Yeah. Whereas like, like the first two songs kind of went on a, like maybe a little longer than they needed to. This one was just like, I could have used a little bit more of that. It just also out of left field. Like you've got this, yeah. these two rock and honky tonk songs. And all of a sudden goes into this proto metal epic song it's great yeah like sounded like you said like a you know sabbath purple type of thing mm-hmm. um yeah which was like really good but it's like um i don't know maybe maybe they were in a rush to write songs or something like that you know to to get it out there it had just a great energy to it like i mean everything on this album so far has had really great energy to it and ronnie had a little more depth in his vocals, like, you know, you could, you could hear him getting a little, like, little more, like, uh, into it. You know, he was getting that kind of angry Ronnie in there. Like, you could hear him, like, kind of growling a little bit, like what you'd hear in a lot of his later vocals. Yeah, he was really mad about those leaping dogs of winter. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, um, jump on the furniture. <laughs> that's the place up. <laughs> um, I give, um, I give this song a four. Um, I would give it less, but I, I like it enough to see like it's kind of potential, you know, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I loved it. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I really loved it. I loved that. And the way that like the guitar and the piano were both leaving some space and then filling in the space of the other, like, just, I love the way that they groove together on that. It was awesome. Yeah. All right, so the, you know. cl- that's a interesting choice to be the second to last song on the side of the album, but the last song on the first side is I'm Coming Back For You, so we'll see where they go from here. Ah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back to Honky Tonk Land. But a little more rock than the previous two Honky Tonk tracks. Yeah, not as piano forward. This song like sounds like it could have or should have been like a played on classic rock radio you know yeah yeah the chorus has that kind of like uh, mm, uh would you i don't know would you quite call it like an anthem type of chorus yeah. but like a sing-along type of yeah it sounds like that's what they're going for on that cowbell. Kind of a, kind of a 
Brian May sounding solo. Yeah. A little bit. Brian, Brian May double tracking harmonies. Nice little fill. ending <laughs> it sounded like they messed up <laughs> it sounded like Ronnie came in too early he's like ah, I mean ah! Really making me. I mean, I I'm I love Mickey Lee Soul. But this is making me appreciate him even more. He's just actually, you know, the the main riff, the guitar kind of has a kind of a it's kind of like a Queen sounding like guitar tone to it, or like a, a riff, you know? Like, yeah, isn't it? Definitely. Like I, I don't know, I don't know what it is about it, but it was just like it really reminds me of kind of like more of a like a like a rock and Queen song, which is definitely a good thing. That's a good way to close the side of the album, although I feel like Nevermore would have been a better closer to a side. Yeah, I was going to say, if they, they could have flip-flopped those because the first three songs would have been more consistent. Like, the first two kind of were a little slow going, and then this one I feel like picked up. Like, all right, now it's getting interesting, and then Nevermore would have been like, um, you know, and if they had even extended that, would have been a great kind of emotional closer to side one. They're crediting all of these songs to all four members of the band, but it makes you wonder there's there had to have been a leading writer on some of these songs and nevermore sounds like it came out of somebody else's toolbox, you know, like it, 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 I would, it I would think Ronnie. Yeah. I mean, it definitely had his hallmarks on it. I mean, if you're like a, a band, like in the early days like this, they probably did the, you know, all four credited type thing because they probably were in a a studio like a you know a house something like that and they were just like banging out all these songs together but um and that's why they you know all took equal credit but i mean it ronnie has always been really creative a great songwriter i mean he he had to have been the lyricist because i mean he always wrote his own lyrics um i mean at least in the you know the you know since rainbow on yeah um so i feel like without having any proof at all that he was probably the he wrote his own songwriter. He wrote his own lyrics in Rainbow, but there was a little uh, guy whispering in his ear, <laughs> add more wizards. Just was that, was that, did that little man happen to be wearing a pilgrim hat at the time and pointy <laughs> shoes? The song's great, but please mention castles and ladies in waiting. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you gonna, what are you gonna give? I'm coming back for you. Um, um, I I think it's another solid three point five for me. 
I'll give it a three. I liked it. Um, like I said, like everything on this album, this is always when I used to listen to this album, it was just something I'd put on. But I don't know that I like nothing on this album ever jumped out to me. I think never listening to it now again, more critically, never more really jumps out at me. But for the most part, it was like you had it on. You were, you felt a really good mood listening to the album. You liked the feel of it. Great energy. But mm-hmm. a, a lot of it to me never I never had anything really jumping out at me. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely feel this song is progressed from like the first two. I think maybe I I like it a little bit more because the piano was held back a little bit. Um, And you know me, I mean, not that I dislike piano, organ, keyboards, whatever, but I mean, it's like first couple of songs, a little too much, you know, very piano forward for sure. Like, let's, uh, let's bring it down there a little bit partner, you know, (laughs) partner. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I was like, forget who the keyboard player is or the piano player. Achilles soul. Oh, I, I thought you were saying partner. Cause it was like honky tonk, like you're in a saloon. All right there, partner. Why don't you bring that piano playing down a little bit? Well, my first instinct was going to be to say like, all right, let's like take it down a notch there. Chip, you know, <laughs> whatever your name is. Chip. <laughs> Mickey Mickey Lee Chip Soul. From now on, we're calling him Chip. (laughs) I don't know. Sounds nothing like Mickey Lee Soul, but we're he's Chip now. (laughs) I have a terrible memory. (laughs) Apparently, like everything. Who's the piano player? Like uh, Mickey Lee Soul? You who's the piano player? We've only talked on him in about I don't know twelve or fifteen episodes. We've 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 talked about him incessantly. I was like, who's that guy with a big handlebar mustache who wrote all that music? Uh, John Lord. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Who's that guy? You know, uh, p- 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 piano finger guy. What's his name? Oh, John Lord. Yeah. Okay. The uh, so it's, now we get to the second side of the album. The first track on it is a track we've talked about before. I think when we uh, did our little lead up to the butterfly ball, and that is a call a track called "Sit Down, Honey. Everything Will Be All Right." And this is why we I was just going to say, I feel like this is going to have a lot of freaking piano in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this gets a little tiresome for me. Oh, all right. And that might be why Nevermore stuck out a little bit more is that he brought in a little organ elements and things. I don't know. I just feel like the the piano forward stuff is like I'm getting fatigued from it, you know, plus the way that he's plus the way that he's playing that kind of tickle in the eye. He's like, like, (laughs) it's just it's too it's too whimsical for me. But this is really this is really rocking. There's some strong bass in here from Ronnie. Listen to Chip go. <laughs> I feel like the songs are good, but I feel like they're all the same. Like, you know, they got that same. It's a very similar mood throughout the whole album. Yeah, it's like it's a good mood, and I like Which, it. 
Yeah, it's consistent. It's upbeat. You know, it's just like it really makes like, me wonder where the hell Nevermore came from. If you're if you're if you're rating like the album, like it's song by song, it just kind of is like, yeah, they all kind of sound alike, except for Nevermore. But given the fact that the next song is called Dixie Lee Junction, I don't think oh we're going to get much of a departure <laughs> from this. It doesn't well, I remember. I remember putting this on in the background, like in my yeah. room and just like being like, oh, you know, this is something like rocking to put on as like background music. But I was never like doing like, you know, air piano to this or anything, you know? Yeah, like, this wasn't like a go-to for me. Like, I listened to it a fair amount, but it wasn't like, a, like, oh my god, this album, and knowing every moment of it like I did some others. Well, I mean, this was like, again, the first Elf album that was, like, available um, yeah. that I can remember, and then when the uh, Carolina County Ball and Trying to Burn the Sun especially, I found yeah. Trying to Burn the Sun, which was the last proper elf album that I, I remember that one being my favorite but yeah you've got to figure too this is 1972 this is their debut album and most yeah. debut albums tend to be like oh here's all the songs we've been playing live for a while and they usually don't have the budget to really get too crazy in the studio so you know the bands mature and by I think trying to burn the sun I think came out in 75 no I, I want to say it was 74 well, for a band because, that st- because, started um, in 72, even though it's a few well, years later. Because didn't, uh, weren't they, weren't they Rainbow by 74? No, they are Rainbow in 75. Yeah, it came out in 75. Also produced by Roger Glover. The kind of a, like a Leonard Skinner sort of ending. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was 75. My bad. Hey, you didn't trust me? You're going to have to look it up again? <laughs> He's yes. like, trust but verify. <laughs> hey, that's my friggin' life, buddy. Yep. <laughs> uh, yes, it's like me when my kids tell me they brush their teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah? Come here for a second. Yeah, just like Nate's kids telling me brushes their teeth. When Nate tells me that was released in 75, (laughs) I don't trust That was released in 75, Nate? Oh, yeah? Then why is your toothbrush completely dry? Oh, (laughs) boom. (laughs) (laughs) Just proved you wrong. (laughs) All right, what do you think of Sit Down, Honey? Everything will be all right. Um, I'm... I feel like at this point I'm like getting like I'm kind of getting tired of the formula. So it's kind of mm-hmm. unfair to this song, but I have to give it a three because it's like we were talking all the way through it, you know, so I didn't find anything really, again, special about it. You know, it, nothing really stuck out to me. Like, yeah, I you know what I mean. Like it could have been I mean, that song could have been um, Hoochie Coochie Lady or First Avenue. Mm hmm. For all I know. Yeah, I, I looking back at my ratings now, I'm like, Hoochie Coochie Lady is the only one of the honky-tonk style ones that I gave a 3.5, and I think I just did it because it was the first one. And it was, like, new. And I gave all the yeah. others threes, and I think going back, if I listen to Hoochie Coochie Lady now, I'd probably give it a three. Um, 
And again, like the three is not a, a bad thing. It's not a slap in the face. I mean, it's a good, solid song. Enjoyable to listen to. I, I can't I can't pick anything apart in these songs to say this is anything bad. And like I said, the performance, the energy is just excellent on this whole album. Mm hmm. But the material is is uh, fairly redundant apart from Nevermore. Mm. But like I said, I don't I can't see Dixie Lee Junction throwing us for much of a loop. <laughs> but I don't think there's going to be like any like minor <laughs> arpeggiated chords in there or. That'd be great if it turns Some out to be like haunting, haunting wind chimes, <laughs> haunting wind chimes. <laughs> it's gonna be like like uh it's gonna be like the beginning of uh Ch child in time on the ian gillen album with all that <laughs> brum, boom, brum, hitting like the four, 47 roto toms uh all right let's see let's see what dixie lee junction has to offer i mean i'll admit that's not what i was expecting <laughs> and i mean yeah, keep in mind we both we both heard this album, but it's been a while. So oh I yeah, forgot. I haven't listened to this in years. Sounds like Wild Dogs, like the Wild Dogs progression. Yeah. Be funny if it just like went into like, and then they stopped, and they went dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> this baggage handcuffed to my wrist. It was pretty good though. I like this. Yes, it's a nice departure. Well, it Not predates what was... Wild Dogs, too. So It does. Yeah, maybe Tommy stole it from this. Oh, yes, this song, of course. I wonder where Ronnie drew his inspiration from. Didn't he grow up in New Hampshire and New York? <laughs> New, New Hampshire? I knew New York, but did he grow well, up he in New Hampshire? He was born in New Hampshire, I believe, and then he like lived in New York. Oh, there you go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling us. Let's shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is actually a very uh a very nice surprise. I completely misjudged with the name of the song. <laughs> and now I remember it now that I hear it, of course. So weird. There's like the album throwing us a couple of curveballs. Like this is really good. Also reminds me kind of like a Skinnered Freebird sort of kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's even picking up the tempo. Although this was before Freebird.
<laughs> now he's kind of they've gone back into it. <laughs> now this is what how I was expecting. This, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! They fooled us. Yeah, it was like a three-minute wind-up to 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 do this. Like, I mean, it had to get to this point. It's called Dixie Lee Junction. That's not a song that can't sound like this. Oh, he's got some backing vocals now. I think it's uh, Mickey Lee on backing vocals. Junction, kind of a schizophrenic kind of song there. What do you What are you thinking about Dixie Lee Junction? Um, I mean, I'll I'll give it an A for effort, but um, hmm, I, <laughs> it's kind of funny too because it's like it's comedic and how <laughs> it went to what we thought it was going to go to. Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> it didn't start out that way. But. No. It ended exactly um, how we would have assumed. Yeah, I think that I really I liked the first part of the song, and if it never went to that chorus part, I would have been fine with it. But um, you know, I give it like um, I, I give it a I'm gonna have to give it a three, just because like it it let me it let me down in the originality department. You know, it went right to where I we thought it was going to go. And um, then it just, it started off great. And then it just kind of like, unfortunately bored me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give it a 3.5 just because it did break it up a little bit with that beginning part. I thought it was great, but it would have been nice to see them go somewhere else. But it was like, it was almost like they were trying to get out of that mold and it just sucked them right back in. Like they just couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't quite do it. They're like, Nope, we're going to, like I'm all of a sudden gonna... they're like, what are my hands doing? It's going to a blues position. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One, four, five, can't no. break free. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, the next song is Love Me Like a Woman, which has a potential to be like kind of a ballady sort of thing with a with a title like that. We'll see. So does does like Ronnie want someone to love him like a woman? I know that's a, did, I don't know what he means by those lyrics. Or does he want the the woman to love him like a woman should love him? 
Yeah. Or just love me like a woman. Like maybe he wants, maybe he's like, I'm very, I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive kind of guy. I don't want you to, you know, I've, I'm showing my feminine side. I don't know. I don't know what he means by it. Let's, let's listen to the lyrics and try to decipher this. Let's listen and find out. <laughs> it sounds like he wants to love him like oh a my standard. Oh <laughs> He's got a little reverb effect on his voice. Yeah. Or delay, rather. You know what this album reminds me of? What? Like when they make up like a fake band on like a comedy show or something and they they say oh listen to all the classics and they just like rattle off like one song after another like little snippets of them yeah like, that's kind of what this reminds me of where it's just like everything sounds like cut from that same mold yeah says love me like a woman touch me like a woman hold me like a woman be my woman really <laughs> moved across that keyboard woman love me like love a woman a big woman because I'm getting shaky so shaky I'm getting <laughs> shaky see me shaking is a lot of nonsense <laughs> it's okay yeah, it's, it is, it's kind of a lot love me like a woman touch me like a woman hold me like a woman be my woman a woman a big woman Love me like a woman. Ooh, big woman. It's a, yeah, it's prob so it probably doesn't really have to have any deep meaning to it. No, it's just, yeah. But like everything else on this album, rocking, great energy. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if this if this band was like in a bar, or something like that, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Which it's really weird to think of like 
you know, Ronnie being in a bar band or something like that, but that's really what this sounds like. Yes. Yep. And I mean, I know everybody has their beginnings and stuff like that. It just, it feels like kind of, um, and it's so hard too, because of like everything that we know about him before and after this, mm -hmm. it, it's just like, it's so weird to like, to, to judge him that way, you know, to feel that he was ever part of that. But it's like, um, I don't know. It's almost like, I almost feel bad because it's almost like Ronnie doing this type of music isn't bad. It's just, it's not as exciting. It's not my favorite Ronnie era, I guess. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> knowing And knowing what so much of his other music means to you, you know, this is his, this is his beginnings. I mean, he'd yeah. been a, he'd been around for a while at this point and pl played for years and years in bands. But I think this is his first like proper recorded album. So you're yeah, listening well, to probably... the humble beginnings and that you know, you know, like listen to the the first few Deep Purple albums or whatever. You know, people trying to find their stride. They can't all be like Black Sabbath's debut album. You know, mm. uh, this this is uh, a good solid effort. But it it just doesn't have the 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 character the the diversity in the songs that you'd be used to. Yeah, I mean, it's almost feels kind of unfair, you know. Like if we were judging this, you know, if it were somebody else, maybe I don't know. We'd be like, would it be better? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. Um, it's hard to remove yourself from it to that level, anyway. Yeah, but I mean, being for, as you know, fair seeing, as we can hearing what I heard on Nevermore and just trying to imagine what could what other kinds of uh, styles and things could have been on this album. Just it, that makes me see hearing what they were capable of, of that on that song and how interesting that song is, um, mm -hmm. you know, makes you wonder. But like you said, they're probably they were a band. They were playing around. They had all these songs and that's what it is. Um, I will. What are you uh, going to rate this one? Yeah. Well, that being said, I give it a, a three. And I do as well. It's it's hard to find a fault in any of these songs they're just, but they're a little bit uh generic yeah i i think that there's a difference between like you know um like a say like a, a bad i guess a bad three and a good three you know i would say yeah. it's a good, like a good three you know it's like you said nothing wrong with any of oh, these yeah, songs. there's nothing on this album that's bad it's all just it's it just a little i don't know it's a lot of yeah, the same the same premise rehashed again and again. Yeah, generic. All right, well, we're closing out the album now with the final song, Gambler, Gambler. It's definitely a different beginning. Wow, I don't like, remember the song at all. <laughs> no. Reminds me like get that weird discordant organ in the background. Kind of mm. sounds like a Hendrix thing. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Wow. 
Oh, is that Ronnie? Beating on the bass there? <laughs> I think so. Gamble a gambler, a chicken in the first degree. It's weird. This is some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's showing you really what this, what they're capable of. Yeah. Throwing in some, I mean, it's still a standard kind of blues progression, but you don't think about it as much because they've got all this other interesting stuff going on, a lot of great riffs. Nice. Gambler, gambler, chicken in the first degree. That's got to be wrong, right? I think I, I, I feel like you're saying shakedown in the that's first what degree. I, that's what I'm hearing. All right, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> spooky ending actually that has like absolutely nothing to do with the song or the rest of the album with a feeling that you're getting from it wow as I'm in my dark basement like around midnight while my family's asleep I'm like kind of creeped out by that ending <laughs> you know like you know looking at the friggin album cover too like 
Well, that's another thing about that damn album cover. It has nothing to do with the feel of this album. Like, it just doesn't. The, this album cover should have been them in, like, late 1800s garb, like, around a piano in a saloon. You know, that would have been the perfect album cover that represents what this album is about. But this weird, creepy, heavy metal looking elf, it made no sense. Heavy metal looking elf. It's it's true though. That's what he looks. It's just like. it's a, you know apart from being a bad album cover, a poorly executed album cover, it has nothing to do with the. It doesn't conjure the feeling of this album. Like Carolina County Ball, when you look at that album cover, that's like that's a represents what that album feels like and sounds like. This album cover makes no sense. <laughs> so what do you think of Gambler Gambler? Um. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this this one a a four. I, because I really, I really liked parts of it a lot. Um, I think the intro was really good. I liked the guitar solo and the the drums and the energy and, um, yeah, definitely like broke away from the mold of the rest of the album. Like this and um, um, this parts of Dixie Lee Junction and Nevermore were probably like the most different songs. So yep, but this one I think was probably <clears throat> my favorite. So I'm I'm glad they ended off on this one, although the ending was kind of wacky. Yeah, it was kind of spooky. It, it was, yeah. and just on it's just just odd coming after that song. But I, mm. I agree 100. percent I also give it a four. I think it was really good. I think they had some really good, cool little breakdowns. That that part where it was just drums and guitar solo was really cool. That's a ballsy move. Yeah, to be able to just play a solo over just drums. For as long as they did, it really sound really cool. Yeah. So overall, um, I think a pretty pretty decent debut album. Sure. Um, you know, like we were saying all the way through, um, you know, well produced and performed. Um, just kind of um, kind of a little bit maybe lacking in the songwriting department. Um, I, I think that I really feel like a lot of it was like written, like they, they were all like in a, in a room together, like just coming up with these songs and writing them like on the spot or like, how, did you say how long it, like the recording? Well, took? they said it was from July, uh, I'm sorry, from April till July, but the, the, it must've been just a few sessions over that period of time. Cause there's no way that yeah. they were in the studio that whole time. They wouldn't have been able to afford it. And it, yeah. It doesn't reflect that at all. Yeah, I feel like it's yeah, they they were probably like, you know, writing writing and playing some material and like, all right, like here's today's song, let's bang this one out type of thing. Not that there wasn't a lot of thought that went into it, but it's just like with most of the songs being so uh similar sounding, you know, I think they were just kind of in that that groove, you know, and it, it sounded like they were really jamming a lot, you know, like yeah. especially with the the piano and everything and uh, you know, how that kind of was the theme throughout the the album and they had the those few kind of different sounding songs so i think it was like um at times a little unfocused but for the most part like you know pretty pretty like consistent sounding album you know well interestingly this would have been recorded in 1972 mm-hmm. and it was recorded at studio 1 in Atlanta Georgia but it was produced by Roger Glover and Ian Pace. So when the hell would they have had the time to be in the studio in Atlanta, Georgia with this group? I mean, they they were 
touring machines at that point. So this this had to have been just a few sessions. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how it was even logistically possible that it happened, to be honest yeah. with you. But <clears throat> interesting. But um, anyways, um, it's funny. This is the this is the second second week in a row that our our individual ratings were exactly the same. Yep, even though they varied song by song, almost uh, almost every song we varied on, or uh, yep. I should say, well, a few songs we we varied on here and there. Hmm. So yeah, we like both gave it a three three point four four combined rating of six point eight eight. So definitely not our not our highest. Um, but if you could if you stack it up against other debut albums like Shades of Deep Purple. We gave a 5.38. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, War Horse, we gave a 5.21. Captain Beyond, unfortunately, got a huge rating. You mean the first one? Yeah, the first Captain Beyond got, you know, being a debut album from a band. Oh, of course. It, yeah. If, you, if you're comparing debuts against debuts. Right, right. Well, I don't know. I don't know what was going on with Captain Beyond, but they, they nailed it, man. Yeah, that was pretty exceptional what they put together in that first album. Yeah, but um, definitely, you know, definitely a, um, you know, interesting, uh, you know, debut, um, you know, from from Ronnie and, and his boys. Uh, it's definitely not one that I've, like, I haven't heard this one in like a long time. Like I never had the desire to listen to this album. Yeah, it's been a while. And I, but I would... I would definitely come back for um heck's the name of the song again. Nevermore. Is that the name of the song? Mm-hmm. Uh that that song yeah, blew me away, to be it. honest. Um really good stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's the first elf album. Looking forward to covering the later two albums at a date to be specified later. Not next week. Um That's that. That's Elf's debut album. So we got the news. So the big news this week, obviously, is the new Deep Purple album. And of course, you know, we're a little bit behind because we're recording this a little bit ahead. But they teased us on one morning, woke up and saw this. They just posted this picture, this super pixelated picture. We speculate. I speculated that it was... um Ian Gillen in a fedora, <laughs> but it was not because the following day I thought they would, they would leave us hanging for everyone figured this was the album cover for the new album. And I figured, Oh, mm. they're going to tease us and leave us stringing along for a while. And then the next day, boom, they post the album cover, which is right here. And it's this guy that looks like he's kind of in a spacesuit almost like with a, with a helmet on. And he's kind of disintegrating into the wind with the wind kind of carrying him away into dust across against this like desert background. And there's a purple, like a, dare I say, a deep purple sky at the top and the words (laughs) deep purple in a font that is extremely reminiscent of the shades of deep purple, deep purple font from the original album. And it just says deep purple. And there's this guy whooshing away, I guess. And he's kind of got the those little 
kind of crosshairs on the photo like you'd see when you see like pictures that they took on the moon of the astronauts you see those little crosshairs that i don't know why they were there but they were um mm-hmm. so they're kind of trying to invoke like a, this extraterrestrial sort of imagery with with this picture and of course i so i posted this and said you know oh mr stark i don't feel so good from like the avengers movie and then everyone else started saying the same thing because it looks kind of like when the superheroes spoilers if you haven't seen the avengers movie when the superheroes start <laughs> disintegrating uh kind of looks like that but what do you think about this album cover i think it's interesting I don't I don't hate it. it. It kind of also he looks like he's in a spacesuit, but it's like when you look at it really quick, he looks like a mummy wearing a space helmet. Oh, which yeah. I thought was pretty which I which I thought was pretty neat. And I didn't notice the little like the little cross things that you were talking about until you mentioned them. Um Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely kind of looks like mummified. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a spacesuit, but it's like when you kind of like look at it and don't think about it, it almost looks like looks like a mummy. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, the more that you're talking about it, it definitely looks like a uh, a guy or, you know, uh, maybe an astronaut or something in space disintegrating like in, in space or on, on a desert in space somewhere. And um, yeah, I kind of like how complex but simple it is at the same time. Like, I mean, the the logo up there, you know, is just really simple. And then it just like kind of like goes down into kind of a more, you know, complex image. Um, yeah, I've heard. a. Lo- I mean, a lot of as as much as everyone pissed and moaned about whoosh, that's a stupid album title. <laughs> Everyone was like carrying on about it. And I, I, you know, I was like, well, you know, you know, it's a stupid ap- album title, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. However, <laughs> over the years, you've said it enough times that it you don't even think about it anymore. And it's held up as one of the greatest albums of all time. So I was like, you know, the fact that it's called whoosh uh, immediately did not care about that. Like, I just don't think it, I think any sort of name of a band or, I mean, think of any of your favorite bands or favorite album titles and really think about the names of them. A lot of them are silly and dumb, but you say them enough times, you just get used to them. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. But even the people that were like that, universally, I think everyone really liked this album. And some people even were saying this is the best Deep Purple album cover yet. And I, I think it's great. I really, I think it's compelling. It looks really interesting. I don't know what they're going to, where they're going to go with this, but it looks really cool. So we got the news that not only this is the album cover, but it's being released on June 12th, which is a far cry from the April date we had heard earlier. And of course we will be coming to you on June 12th. We will be releasing an episode reviewing this album. Uh, some, some hell or high water. Uh, we will get that out right away. We just want to get our real-time reactions to this album, maybe even mm. a two-parter, and kind of go over uh, go over the tracks and then maybe talk later about what it's going to be. But it's 13 tracks, which is long. Um, they really fill up albums these days, not like the, the days where they had a 35-minute album that was seven songs. This, this could potentially be pretty long. They gave the track listing, which uh, the tracks are... Throw my bones, drop the weapon. We're all in this. We're all the same in the dark. Nothing at all. No need to shout. 
step by step, what the what, the long way around, the power of the moon, remission possible, man alive, and the address, and dancing in my sleep. So the, the obvious, address. the obvious one was and the address caught caught a lot of people's attention, mm. and they very shortly after releasing this popped up on Amazon. On it wasn't available on Amazon.com, but on .co UK and uh, .de, they had snippets from all the songs, which I intentionally didn't listen to because I don't want to spoil it. I really want to hear it for the first time when it comes out. But many people confirm that And The Address is in fact the same song, And The Address from the first song on the first Deep Purple album, which um, is extremely interesting that they would do a remake of a Mark One song. But it's also I mean, I don't want to judge this album yet because it's not out and I haven't heard it, but I'm also like, why wouldn't they make that be the last song on the album? You know, close out what could potentially be the last Deep Purple album with a remake of the first song from the first album, you know, kind of reprise Mm -hmm. it. But uh, at any rate, it's very crazy, actually, that they would do that, that they would redo a Mark One song. And really interesting that they pretty much used the same logo from the Deep Purple first deep purple album yeah it's it's which very similar yeah yeah i mean it's almost there um yeah it's almost the same um i mean i was looking at it uh when you were when you were like going over the album and everything and like the font is like it's not exactly the same but it's like really really similar very close which is which is cool you know it's kind of like there are a couple of things on there that tie this like you said potentially final album with the beginning of their career, which I think is really cool. And they've been using for all intents and purposes, the Stormbringer logo for almost 50 years now to kind of break, break it down. But we've talked about this before. Deep Purple is a band never really committed to a logo. They, they had, Mm -hmm. you know, they had the DP logo from like perfect strangers and they, they rode that through the, you know, the eighties and the nineties, they, they had the deep purple logo that they created for Stormbringer and they kind of carried that and then they got rid of it and then they brought it back in the later 90s and then they had the Mark 1 logo for the first few albums. So they've always jumped around all over the place from logo to logo. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that they come up with this, I think it's their 21st album, a studio album, and uh, just threw up something that's a throwback to the original logo and also a little different. Mm really interesting i'm very much looking forward to the new album and listening to it critically and uh, seeing what it's all about and i'm not going to listen to those 30 second snippets although yorg did send me a he sent me a compilation of all the 30 second snippets <laughs> and i was like "Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I was like i think i'm gonna not listen to this just to i, I just want to hear it for the first time all right so this week in deep purple history what do we got this week so this will cover march 23rd through march 29th some pretty big moments in deep purple history we've got of course first off on march 25th 1972 machine head album is released considered by many to be the premier deep purple 
album. And of course, look at it right there. They still hadn't committed to a logo. <laughs> it's just <laughs> just says Deep Purple stamped in metal. And then uh, March 24th and 25th, 2001, Deep Purple played a number of dates in Tokyo doing the concerto with Dio on vocals. Yeah. A little continuation of that, that um, concerto 99. My Japanese is a little rusty, so I can't read that, but a uh, little concert poster there. And then on March 26th, 2002, Steve Morse releases his album Split Decision. This would have been right before Don Airy jumped on board. Mm-hmm. So kind of had a little break there and released this album. So interesting stuff. There you go. And I'm looking uh, just for fun. I'm looking on Amazon. At uh, Elf Reviews. Should we should we read a, a two star review? The lowest review is two stars. Why not? The title is totally faceless. <laughs> Reviewed in the United States, July 16th, 2009. It says this is about as faceless as early 70s boogie blues rock can get. Second rate stuff all the way. The second and third albums by this band are a bit better, though. There is no doubt that if it were not for Dio going on to bigger and better things, no one would care about this band. If Boogie Rock is your thing, then stick to bands like Cactus or Grand Funk. They are much better songwriters and players. I don't know if I call Grand Funk Boogie Rock. No. Like, they didn't really do this kind of thing. But, you know, hey, whatever. No, and I mean, I, I don't think you can. Boat. I don't think you can say much about the, the playing on this album. I think the playing was great. Just was yeah. the, the songwriting was, you know, could have could have had a little bit more. Anyway, that's our episode for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back at you next week with another, dare I say, album review for episode. Or it will be episode 49. Holy moly. Rounding up on that 50th episode. So what will we be reviewing next week? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we will find out next week. We'll see you again very soon. I, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> Usually we end with you saying bye. So say bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Um, my uh, the, this this next one is one star. The title of the review is "My Urine Turned Extremely Yellow After I Take the Pills." Yeah, that's what happens when you take a vitamin, asshole. My urine turned extremely yellow after I take the pills, so I stopped taking the pills. <laughs> I'm going to see my doctor tomorrow. I'll let you guys know more about it. <laughs>
he's gonna follow up. <laughs> 